You do. Hey, everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Lees with another edition of the Surf and Sales Podcast brought to you by our January sponsors of uh, Salesforce Revenue Cloud, Vidyard, Lead 411, and Wingman. So as you are building out your 2021 plans, you know, you definitely need to check these folks out. And I'm really excited because even these folks, I think, would be someone you should consider. Uh, we are joined by one of the co-founders, and we may get a guest appearance by the other, uh, Patricia McLaren from RevShop. So Patricia, so much, so grateful for you joining us today. Um, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, great. So, so just for context, right? Explain what RevShop is and what it does. Um, you know, not really meant to be a product pitch, but people need to understand where you're where you're coming from, and and then we're going to dive into some other stuff around it. Sure. Yeah. So we actually have a pretty interesting journey, uh, RevShop, the RevShop team. So our whole founding team, uh, we're ex datanizers So if you're familiar with Datanize, uh, recently acquired by ZoomInfo slash Discover Org. Uh, and that's really where the journey began a couple of years back. And uh, the a couple of co-founders, we actually went on a hiatus in 2018 and uh, just went and traveled the world. So we, we backpacked, uh, we booked a one-way ticket to Japan. We backpacked all over the world. And while we were doing that, we were writing sequences. That's what we did to kind of, to, to support ourselves and to support our travels. And while we were doing that, we were learning a lot of, you know, different patterns and things that worked really well and didn't work well across industries and personas. And so that's all we were doing was writing. So and wait, so all of you went on a vacation together? Josh, the other co-founder and I. Yeah, so we took oh, the wow. And we, we did meet Jason Vargas, our other uh, co-founder out in Greece that year as well. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Lots of fun. So, you were, so you were doing mobile work years before COVID hit, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This is, uh, you know, luckily we're used to it. Our whole team's remote and we just needed a laptop and Wi-Fi to, to really get the job done. So. so what does RevShop do though? Like, so for context, like what is it? And then, you know, we'd love to hear like, what's your average deal size, what's your average sales cycle? Again, just for contextual purposes. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, just to connect the dots that turned into coffee shop. Uh, right. which is what we've actually rebranded into RevShop because we offer way more than copywriting services now because it's all part of a larger sales engagement transformation. There's just a lot of moving parts. So RevShop offers productized services from operations, messaging, and enablement just to make sure that sales loft and outreach users get the most out of their experience and make sure they go to market with a, a successful strategy. Um, yeah, what does all that mean though? Because that's a really buzzwordy <laughs> phrase. Like, I don't want to read your website. Tell me what that. Tell me what that really means. Like, give me the use case. Yeah. So, if someone is, you know, refreshing their messaging, or they're not seeing the best results in their platform, or they're having trouble with adoption. Right? They've purchased outreach or sales off. It's just not hitting. Then we help them figure out where the gaps are from an operations standpoint. So maybe it's data flow. Maybe it's not connected to Salesforce properly. Maybe there's too much manual process going on, whatever it is from an operations, you know, foundational standpoint. And then we can look at messaging and figure out, okay, how do we get a little bit more creative and create quality engagement with your buyers instead of, you know, templated emails or, you know, 
no personalization, things like that. So then we can look at what the messaging actually looks like and then enablement. So then we got to train your team on it. Do they actually know how to use outreach or did you show them an hour uh, during onboarding and that's it? So do they really know, are they set up for success and how, what does ongoing training look like? So we help a, an organization set all of those up. Yeah, that's, one of, favorite, that's one of my favorite call outs already, Richard. You'd be shocked, Richard, because you haven't worked in a company in a long time now. Um, you'd be shocked how many people have a tool like outreach or sales loft or something like that. And the reps don't know how to use it. Who do you, what, what are you smoking? Like, are you kidding? This is like half my, it's a little early. I haven't started smoking yet. Yeah. Like, so in my, in fact, and seriously, Patricia, you and Jason need to contact me because I've got like three clients who need to talk to you, but um, seriously, I do. Uh, one, I had this conversation with yesterday. So, um, so that being said, so and what's your deal cycle like? What's your sales cycle like? Deal size, those kinds of things. Yeah, so we're luckily. I mean, I think you just pointed out it's such. There's such a need. Like everybody needs this type of service or has some sort of challenge as it relates to outreach or sales loft. So we're almost entirely re referral based from outreach and sales loft, um, which you know there's enough there's enough need right there. And, and so that's been really exciting for us um, to have the, the great relationships with Outreach and Sales Loft and all the, the partners as well, like Vidyard and Sendoso. Uh, and we typically work with uh, mid-market to enterprise companies. So our, you know, our, our best customers right now, our sweet spot is really, um, you know, the Adobe's Cisco uh, and, you know, Segment recently acquired by Twilio. Got it. Cool, cool. So, so go back into your background. Like, are you a natural born salesperson or as Scott likes to call it, are you one of the people from the garbage can who just, <laughs> one, of, one, of my, one of my degenerates. I'm from the garbage can for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I like started in retail. I, my, actually my first job was Subway uh, and worked my way into retail management uh, and realized I didn't want to do that long term. It was just a, it was just a mess. It was a love hate relationship with retail, um, traveling to all the stores, hiring, working with you know a lot of sixteen year olds wanting raises. So it was a lot of that. Um, and then I made the shift into tech and started at the ground level, just making phone calls. I didn't even know what a cold call was, but I joined in. Right, <laughs> living in San Francisco, um, and then I I made kind of a detour and went into medical sales uh, where I was traveling to hospitals and nursing homes and basically training nurses and, and CNAs on diapers and uh, wound care, which was super exciting. Uh, and I was traveling Monday through Friday and really, you know, not, not enjoying the travel and this like dream job that everybody says, Hey, you can make so much money in medical sales. And you know, so I kind of took a lot of random detours um, and then actually ended up quitting that medical sales job uh, to go travel. So kind of been all over the place, but uh, I don't know if I would call myself a natural born sales leader, but just dove in and like. You're more, you're, you're, you're more in my camp. I mean, you change some way to gap the gap, and you know, that piece. But Scott gets to decide if you're truly from the garbage can or not. <laughs> I do. I Maybe do. just a all over the place journey. So, 
so what what did you what have you always liked about sales like were you like even as a child like we asked your mom and dad like hey you know this is what she was like yeah this is a natural fit for her or was there something else that you were would they would they be like we had no idea this was happening <laughs> i think i think if you ask my parents or anybody you know, from my childhood, I was a born leader. I was a natural leader. Like I grew up dancing and even in my class, my dance class as a seven-year-old, I was like leading the class and like telling everybody the directions of where to, you know, go. So I've always had that, that kind of leadership um, passion to really help other people and develop other people. And that's what's so fulfilling about sales and getting to work with sales teams. Uh, and especially in these complex orgs, like you know, just figuring out where the struggles are and where the gaps are in their uh, in their processes and seeing those light bulb moments to say, oh my gosh, we've helped you guys, you know, sift through this shit and figure it out. And that's really fulfilling. So I guess natural born leader, always wanting to be, you know, the person that, that can support and help develop those around me. Can I, re can I rewind the tape a little bit and ask you to explain to everybody what the difference is between RevOps, sales ops, and sales enablement. Oh, so sales ops is you typically who we're working with mostly on the operations programs. It's in, what do they need to do from a like tech stack perspective, data perspective to empower their sellers, right? And so we're looking at everything from a bird's eye view from their Salesforce to their uh, Marketo to their data providers to outreach, um, all of the data fields, automation, all of that. So we're, we're typically working with sales ops on that front. And then enablement, we're working with, uh, you know, sales enablement leaders who are looking at a training perspective, like how do we empower sellers for training programs, ongoing development, uh, what is like outreach universities or knowledge checks or, you know, proficiencies, what does that look like? Uh, so we're typically looking at end user training, manager training, admin training, uh, and we're working with enablement. Or if we roll out new sequences, what does that look like? Um, and then RevOps is kind of a combination of, of all of them, right? O operations, messaging, and enablement sort of flow into revenue operations because it's all, we see them siloed a lot, right? And people don't know what's going on within each of these different buckets. And so RevOps is kind of the big umbrella where we bring, bring the big picture together. Yeah. One of the things that I've been very vocal about um, over the years and uh, our mutual friend KD has, has adopted this stance as well and so I, I want to hear your, <clears throat> your take on it, but I've been very vocal about, I'm not taking a VP of sales job until I get guaranteed approval that the first hire I can make is a head of sales ops, sales enablement, rev ops, one of those three at least. And, and I don't mean somebody who's, you know, very junior in this role. I mean, as almost as senior as hire as I could possibly lobby and argue for are you, are you in, in my camp or is there, is there a time, you know, later on down the road that you kind of recommend people to uh, bring that, that role in? I'm in your camp for that one. It's, it's missing in a lot of orgs. I'd say almost 90% of orgs that we start working with don't have a dedicated person who gets it, yeah. who really understands like all of the moving parts. So tell everybody from your perspective, 
why it's so important to start early. Like you're an early stage startup, let's say. I know your your all sweet spot is, you know, more enterprise companies, but like why should somebody start early? Because you're getting these companies when they're big and they're all fucked up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, why start why start early? Well, I think you just said it. So it it you need to get you need to be proactive about this because you know when we when we start having the conversations with these customers, the house is already on fire. Like it's so much more of a risk and a challenge and a hurdle to try and fix it than, and completely rip and replace in an org than to do it right from the beginning and think about it in a certain way. And this is huge. And like, these are the types of sales conversations that we have all the time because someone comes in and they ask about sequences. Hey, we need to overhaul our messaging. And we immediately say, that's such a micro small part of your of this whole thing and why you might be experiencing challenges. Like we can tell you that an email should come before a call and that you should structure your, your messages in this way, but it, you have to set the right foundation first always. So we always recommend going with an operations program and looking at this from the bigger picture first. We use like this, this house analogy to say, you wanna build the right foundation for your house, right? So it lasts, then you can furnish the house and that's where we look at some of those bells and whistles with messaging. And then we have to keep it clean. And that's enablement. That's ongoing development. So that's a really good analogy. I love that. I, I got to go back to, on this episode, listen to that and lift that. and read. That's, that's like a great, that's a blog post. Like that's, that's probably really one of the best. That's really good. Okay. Yeah. Now, now I'm going to try to pick a fight with you. You ready? Okay. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> one of the banes of my existence is how much time people spend overthinking a fucking subject line of an email. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, you're probably going to be in the opposite camp as me, but I swear for me, the subject line doesn't matter at all. I don't mean when, if I have a team and they're out prospecting or whatever necessarily, like we experiment with different things, of course, we look at it or whatever, but like there's a difference between kind of thinking about something for five, 10 minutes and saying, okay, that's pretty good. Let's go. And based on a little bit of data and reps or SDRs agonizing over a subject line all day long and ending their day with like five emails sent. So this stress and over analysis, I think on optimizing for a subject line kills me. I can't handle it. Scott so, wants more GameStop sort of. <laughs> I'm going to short Subject line. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna yeah. show the subject line. Yeah. No, we're not gonna we're not gonna have a fight over this, Scott. We're not. Damn it. No. Oh my god. Sorry, it might be a dramatic effect. <laughs> dramatic effect of fight. But this is exactly you know, we do a lot of messaging workshops with our customers. So we're not only, you know, helping them create the frameworks and the sequences, but they're learning the skills. Uh, to have quality engagement even after a RevShop program, right? And so we do these workshops where we're going through best practices and ways to think about writing emails. And our first of all, our subject lines are always one to two words or as short as possible, just so that you have more of a preview. You have more of like that personalization. So the person knows what the email's about when they're looking in their inbox. So short email, uh, subject lines. And I agree that it's not even just the subject line, it's the content within the email as well. Like it's not a deal breaker, whether you said hi, first name versus, hey, 
first name or what your sign off is or what your subject line is. Yes, it's definitely stuff you can optimize over time. But if we think about this in the context of this whole conversation that we're having, it's really the foundation that you set. It's the process around it. It's the enablement that you've really um, you know, set in place to make sure that the whole strategy is successful. Then you can start tweaking things like subject lines, but it's definitely not the, the you know, the tell all of your strategy. Uh, and one of the cool things about our programs is we partner with, with uh, a bunch of different companies in the space too. We just partnered with Lavender. I freaking love that team. I love the platform. We just and interviewed their, their founder uh, like a month ago, maybe. Oh, nice. Will? Yeah. Yeah. More specific. There's two Wills. Oh, there's two Wills. I know. If they, they know which one, if you just, from context, they'll know which one you're referring to. Stop overthinking it. Stop overthinking the subject line and agonizing over it. It's just Will. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think, you know, getting the right foundation in place, making sure that the strategy overall makes sense, making sure the reps are trained up on, on the strategy and have ongoing support and enablement. Then you can start tweaking those things, but it's definitely not a something they should be spending a whole lot of time on. Are you at all worried that your space is being commoditized? Like, how do you separate yourself from what you do versus those that shall go unnamed? At the moment? <laughs> I do not think so. I, I just actually talked to um, some folks over at Outreach and Sales Loft. And even it's, it's really exciting to be a part of this right now because sales engagement is just blowing up. Like it's just getting the recognition, right? Sales engagement is now its own category recognized by Gartner. And in the grand scheme of things, outreach and sales loft customer base is just the tip of the iceberg of what's possible within sales engagement. And we're at the forefront of that. And we're at, we're, we're one of the best strategic partners for those companies. So I think the growth within sales engagement is just insane. So Scott, I have a, a pop quiz on Scott. How many sales engagement platforms do you think are out there in the, in the, you know, sales loft outreach vanilla soft world? Well, you just named a third one. So what do you mean? How, like how many literally total? Yeah. Regardless of how big they are. Yes. 45. No, it's about 26. I would, I would not have thought you'd go that high. So you win. Right. Yeah. A plus, Scott. Thank you. Yeah. And so there are a lot, uh, you know, obviously there are two major players that like to, you know, yeah. that number one spot. But um, I, I just, I don't, I think there's a, definitely a need. And because this space is growing so quickly and there's just so much opportunity, we're not to, you know, and we're overall referral based mostly. So we're, we have a lot of opportunity for expansion and growth. Yeah. What, what do you think as you work with these different teams, right? I want to, I want to ask a couple of different things because I love hearing this question because it just tells me how silly people are. Um, what do you think makes, you know, the world-class SDR leader? Because everybody wants it, right? And it's kind of like, dude, like cut it out, like give someone their shot. What do you think makes that, a, what do you look for in that type of person or what do you see that is successful? And then also what, what 
what do you see in an SDR, right? Whether they're early stage or, or later stage in their career of that, of that role? Yeah, that's a great question. So we, we definitely work with SDR leaders on a daily basis and we're, everything we're doing is to empower the SDR themselves and, and the AEs as well. Uh, but I'd say the some of the best SDR leaders that we've worked with are great listeners, first of all, right? They're not trying to force their SDRs to all kind of fit into the same box. They're listening and they're under, they're able to adapt that for how that SDR learns. Right. And so I think if they if they're able to listen and come from a place of understanding there that they're not all exactly the same, you know, should, could, would, but they all have different backgrounds, different strengths. They can kind of position, you know. But what are those, what are those strengths that you see, right? Like I agree with you on backgrounds, right? To, to yeah. Scott's garbage can post, um, you know, those, those, that's good. There, and there could be some similarity in the background, but what are those other, I don't know if they're innate, personality traits like I'm just I'm just curious what you think you see yeah for from SDRs yeah either one both roles hmm good question curiosity I think is really important in sales like not just getting the first you know like like the the desire to dig deeper like, oh, that's interesting. Why is it like that? Like always asking the why, I think helps them figure out, have better conversations with their customers and come from a place of actual, hey, I want to understand this. So I think like, yeah, any like natural curiosity to learn more and um, and then obviously just tough skin and being, being like fearless, being able to be cool with failure and being able to say, uh, I've, I've got tough skin and I know I'm going to make it through this, even if I fuck up. Um, we hear no all the time as salespeople, right? And so I think that they definitely need to have that built in for the, for the role. What's, what's your biggest fuck up? Oh, man. There's been a lot as a first time founder here <laughs> with the Rev Shop. Um, biggest fuck up. Might have stumped me on this one. Um, maybe making some big hiring decisions without thoroughly thinking them through early on. You know, we we're a small team and we're we're not funded. We're not we're, we're bootstrapped from the ground up. Um, and making hiring decisions are really important for us now, right? And the founding team, so. I think the biggest decision uh, or the biggest um, fuck up was not thinking those decisions through. And so what is, I'm going to stop asking questions because Scott's very jealous. Yeah. Um, what, um, so what do you do to get better at that? Like what advice would you give another group of founders to say, look, okay, this is what it means to be more thoughtful in your hiring process at this bootstrappy stage actually create a process for one. <laughs> so actually map out, um, you know, what type of candidates you're actually looking for. Like we all actually ended up taking um, uh, basically like a personality, uh, 
profile, a candidate profile, to really understand what traits we're looking for. And then also incorporate other people on your team, right? It can't just be, you know, two people that have the sign off. So really start incorporating your entire team and plan it, plan out the process from start to finish and then have a, have a solid onboarding plan for when they jump on. So actually preparing everything ahead of time is, is key. And does each person on the team have a role? Like, Hey, you're going to go try and figure out their management capabilities. You're going to figure out their tenacity and being able to roll up the sleeves without a lot of direction. Like, do you guys really sort of, you know, everybody's got a specific role in the interview process. Yeah, exactly. So we've got one that tests proficiency for outreach and sales off because, you know, that's a huge part of what we do. So we have some situational questions and somebody who's just kind of testing their level to say, Hey, could they jump in and like basically train somebody on this? Are they experts or do we need to start there as a a training program? So we've got someone who tests proficiency, someone who tests culture um, and someone who tests experience. So we've got sort of everything mapped out um, for, for what, what they're looking for. Absolutely. What's the big big miss with the, the person though? Like you, you, like, what did you not, how do I phrase this? You said, you almost said like you didn't vet enough. So like something snuck by you in terms of the, the person. And this is super relevant for me because I'm like debating hiring people mm-hmm. and I get, I'm getting like pressure from everyone from Richard to everyone else I can think of who's like, you're an idiot. Why don't you hire people to help you do things and try to grow and scale? And I, it's like, I'm like terrified of it. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It's, it's so, so like, what did you, what did you miss in the, in the individual? It, I, it wasn't so much the individual. It was, it, it was maybe that we were too early in hiring because we didn't think, Hey, is this some, is this a role that we actually need right now? Like, did we actually think where, where the business bandwidth needs are? And did we, hi- did we hire the right person? And we didn't do the proper planning there to say, yes, it's time for us to bring someone in, in this particular area based on what, what we need, you know? And so I think, I think that was really the lesson is looking at what, what the business actually needs and okay, do we need to hire or do we just need to kind of restructure, reallocate our current resources differently? Um, so that, that was a big lesson for us. Um, we're, we all, it, it's definitely terrifying to, <laughs> to bring on a team and grow. We were all sort of contracted at first, right? Like we were traveling and closed our first deal in Italy. And so we were all just kind of like figuring it out. And just recently we've brought on all full-time consultants, um, built an actual, you know, full-time model with benefits and, you know, company perks yeah. and all kinds of good stuff. So it's, it, it's that whole journey that's really interesting to. And then how do you, and then how do you balance, um, how do you balance like how much is enough, right? Like, I'm, I don't know your revenue and I don't expect you to share it, but like, let's say you're doing, you know, a million dollars a year, $5 million a year, $10 million a year. You're bootstrapped. You're not beholden to anybody. Mm-hmm. At, is there a point at some point where you're like, yeah, I could keep scaling, but like, why? <laughs> like how much more money do I actually need? More employees yeah. is more stress. 
more clients is more work. Like, how do you reconcile all that? You are like, we could talk forever about this, I'm sure. Like, do you grow this thing forever? Or like, when is enough? Yeah. What are you actually chasing this for? Like, what do you, right. how do you want this to be? Um, you know, I would love to get on the road and travel again. And looking back, like, that's what we were doing <laughs> on the road, writing sequences. But I got so excited and I'm still so, so excited about the power of our team and, and the possibilities here and how we can help in the sales engagement space. So, um, you know, I, we're, we're going to continue to grow this thing uh, and continue to expand the team. But in terms of figuring out when we expand the team, it really boils down to our bandwidth because we're services. We're not a SaaS company. We don't have, yeah. you know, we, we, we don't have that um, basically scalability. So we look at our capacity model to say, okay, how much time is, you know, how many customers do we have? What are the upcoming projects? What are the complexities? How many, what's everybody's availability? So we have, have to look at our capacity model uh, to figure out when it's really the right time to bring on. And then as, as you're running that, that model, how do you, how do you reconcile the decision of, okay, we need a couple more bodies versus why don't we just double our prices? Oh, that's a good question too. Um, we, we look at, well, we've pretty much figured out because we've productized our services, we're, we're fixed fee um, instead of like counting hours and going through that, you know, tracking hours and having to reallocate. Yeah. So it's Smart all, fixed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fixed fee, whatever it takes that's on us. Um, but we've, but internally we've really got it down to a science to know um, how many projects is one consultant's max and whether it's enterprise, uh, mid-market or small business. So we've have it pretty much structured that way. Um, and that helps us determine when we need to bring on another consultant or two or three, depending on current projects, our renewal rates, um, our uh, you know up, uh, upcoming pipeline. So we have pretty much a, a good runway to know, hey, all of our consultants are already at max capacity and this is what's coming down the, the, the pike and this is what our, our current customers' uh, renewals look like. So, hey, we're gonna need two more consultants. We also have an analyst role, which is new as of this past year, um, where there are there's a support on the project. So it's not just one consultant working with one customer. You kind of have a team of, uh, of folks that you can divvy up the work as well. So that that has helped our model and helped us be able to scale a little bit faster. That's awesome. So I want to, as we get to the end, we're going to ask you in a minute. You know, what advice can we give you? Um, but I want to give you a minute to think about it. Um, but what I really want to know, what I've really been asking is, what's it like working with Jason Vargas? <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, he's at my house right now. Come on. I know. Um, if anybody knows Jason Vargas or has been able to work with him in the past, he's just such a, a genuine person and he's just always he brings a sense of calm for me <laughs> so yeah. we work really well together because I'm always up here crazy like high intensity and he's very he, he kind of helps level me out um, he's a very very close friend of mine as well so he's helped me through personal and both professional uh, you know 
journeys in life together. So, but that, uh, that's important. Like, how do you go? Because you know, you guys started your career as friends, right? Even though you were coworkers, mm-hmm. to and that friendship is really important. But then trying to go into business together, it can work and it cannot work, right? Um, Scott and I sort of fudge this line between that area too. You, you guys formalized it. You know, Scott and I are just sort of buffering on it. <laughs> yeah. Is that, does, does that make it easier? Does it make it harder some ways? Like, you know. There's definitely some emotional, uh, more of an emotional layer um, that you don't get when you go into business with uh, someone who isn't a close friend, but I'll do you one better. Josh o- O'Brien and I uh, have been dating for the past seven years. So not only are we uh, <laughs> the co-founders, really, really gl- close friends, but um, we, we're in a relationship together. We live together. So talk about, you know, trying to find the balance between personal and professional and, you know, putting work away and, and you know, certain roles within our company and then in life. So it's been a journey. It's, it's really exciting to be able to build with people who you have such a deep connection with and, and work very well with. So, you know, it, it's fun, but also it's just challenging like any relationship. <laughs> so do you, so do you, do you guys have this rule? Like, you know, for people who are, who are coupled up is like, okay, look at six o'clock, we have to stop talking about work. Like we got to go make this time for us. How do you guys navigate that? Is that possible? Good yeah. Lord. Oh, plus the pandemic, like we don't leave our house, right? So <laughs> yeah, the advice I have for anybody that's going into business with a partner, you have to prioritize the relationship above everything. So we'll get, you know, get into some heated conversations about work because we're both so passionate about it. But if we get to a certain point, we just take a breath, a breath and we hold hands and we kind of take a moment to realize like, all right, what's the most important thing in life right now? Is it this business conversation or, you know, is it this relationship? So we're, we're constantly finding that balance and helping each other through that process. So if you're going into business with, you know, a partner or even a, just a really close friend, just establishing that upfront to say, Hey, we're coming from this, from the same place. And we know what, what, what the most important thing is here. Trying to figure out who's the calming influence in our relationship, Richard. Come on, who do you think is the calming influence? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's you. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Give me a break. I've been telling Scott to hire somebody. I've been telling him to do meditation. I've been telling him to relax. I've been. Yeah, that doesn't him- feel very calming. That feels like you telling me what to do and bossing me around. But that's only that's only because you wouldn't take my advice for the last five years. So. <laughs> you know, I've got my man. <laughs> Are you and, big into meditation, Richard? What's that? He is. He is. Are you big into meditation? He is. Oh, me. I'm all over it. I'm all I'm all about mental health and medications and everything. I just got diagnosed with ADHD, which Scott didn't believe. We well, not that he didn't believe it, he just didn't see it. And I just said I, you know, look for you know a long 50 years, I've just built coping mechanisms and then I texted him what my notebook looks like. And he's like, oh my God, <laughs> like, it, was, <laughs> it was insane for him. Yeah, okay. different process. <laughs> um, but but you know, we also don't get to hold hands either. So we're too far apart. If he's in Austin, I'm in the Bay Area, but but we would, I think we would. So, um, Virtual hands. 
So uh, quick, a quick shout out to, to our sponsors before we ask our last question of Vidyard, Lead 411, Salesforce, Revenue Cloud, and Wingman. Um, so thank you all for supporting us and please support them. So Patricia, you know, what, what's the one piece of advice you'd like to ask two people who, you know, have no idea what you guys do? And <laughs> what, what advice can we give you as people who are completely unqualified to give you advice? <laughs> what I wouldn't say that. By the way, Scott, that might be how we need to ask this question more. Well, that's a good way to phrase it. It only took us a year to hit on that. Right. Uh, I'd give yourselves a little bit more credit than that. Um, I have a question about, and actually, again, don't know if you guys are qualified or not for this, but <laughs> we're, we're looking at, you know, some conversations around um, uh, expanding into a network and building a community. And I know that you guys have built great communities for yourselves and together with, you know, surf and sales and Thursday night sales. And it's really inspiring and awesome to see. And what would be your advice in getting started with building a community? want to go first Richard? Sure we just gave this advice to a name you would recognize um, and they're a huge massive corporation. Nice. The best advice I can tell you is to don't have any metrics that you're chasing right you're not trying to get clients you're not trying to drive meetings you're not trying to engage you know just the revenue leaders no you're just trying to give back to the community period. Um, in fact, that's how Jason and I met. Like I was just posting shit and he like reached out to me one day and there's, you expect zero in return is my first suggestion. Um, and just do it. And it can never be about rev shop ever. It can always be about, Hey, here's the best practice. Hey, you know, here's what we think about subject lines. They're full of shit. Hey, you can give away tactics, right? Give it away. Um, but you're never gonna give away too much. You're not gonna, gonna give away everything. Like I did my whole sales training in May, uh, in June for everybody, anybody who wanted to come for free. And I still get clients. Right. Like that to me is, that's what community means. Now, the other piece that I'll let Scott answer is we've sort of realized that there's different types of community, right? Like there's the macro community, right? Of, of Rev Genius, um, Modern Sales Pros. Scott likes to call out the paid communities which um, are revenue collective, but those are the macro ones. Then there's sort of micro ones um, that, that are a little bit smaller than that. You know, maybe they're just different Slack channels and, and some of those pieces. Um, and then they're also beginning more targeted. So there's like a sales engineering community now. There's a SDR community, right? Um, those pieces. And then there's the the personal micro communities like Scott and KD, where they have their Patreon group, where it's one-on-one -on -one access with someone. And so those are the different types. And, you know, just depending on how you guys are trying to go and grow is, is that. And then of course, I think that, that, um, you know, Clubhouse has come along and it's pushing the communities in a lot of different ways, right? For the bigger people, can they create something in a Clubhouse format where they can actually talk live um, in a very generic, organic way. Um, do they want to do that? Do they want to move into that platform? Mm -hmm. And then it just becomes, also becomes super noisy. So um, 
but it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. That's that's my long-winded answer. Scott, your thoughts? I think I think you just need to be able to answer for yourself why you want to do it. Like what is what is the point of doing it? <clears throat> because it's it's become pretty crowded. <clears throat> okay. And and I've been talking about this a lot this week in particular, but um, if somebody is going to pick this up, like if I'm going to pick up the, you know, rev shop Slack community or whatever, I don't know what you're trying to do, but let's say that's what it was. Mm-hmm. In all honesty, that means I have to put something else down or I don't have time for it. I don't have the bandwidth for it. So what am I going to put down and why? And if you come up with an answer to that or, or a differentiator for what you're up to, then you, then you have a good chance to, you know, have an impact and, and attract people and whatnot. If you don't, then it's noise. It's, yeah. it's, it's a lot of noise. Um, and, you know, there's already ops communities. You know, I, I won't shout out the names out, out of respect, but I can think of three of them already. And they have, you know, hundreds and low thousands of members in them already. So that doesn't mean you can't do something impactful. It just means what is it going to be? What is it going to look like? Right? So there's also these like the medium matters or the method of delivery. Modern sales pros is a huge community global, right? It's one big email thread. I can't handle it. I can't. Richard, Richard is all over it. I <laughs> muted, I muted, I muted I, modern sales pros like a long time ago because I can't, I can't deal with it. Yeah, so it's that's not just like me voice. Yeah, Richard, so my, Richard is my SDR through Modern Sales Pros. <laughs> Scott's my SDR for nothing. He can send me nothing. <laughs> Stinger. Stinger. Um, so, there's, so there's that. And then there's, you know, the Rev Genius Revenue Collective, which is that's Slack, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, but people are already, I, I mean, I've talked to people this week who are in 11, 17 Slack channels, different communities, like, Man, I don't have time for that shit. Yeah. I, I'm in like three or four and I hate it. Yeah. I, I wish I could get rid of, I wish I could get out of all of them. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then there's, then Including there's his own probably. Then there, then there's, then there's serpents. This is why I like surfing sales and, and Thursday night sales is because it's an experience. It's different. It's experiential. It's an event, right? Serpent sales in particular is, is out of your comfort zone. It's out of the country. Right. Thursday night sales, it's an event. It's like, a, I mean, I don't know if you've ever come, but it's like a TV show, right? Like we argue, we curse, we laugh, people cry. Like there's a bit of hilarity and absurdness to it, right? It's, it's an event. So that's interesting, okay? And then you get down to like the Patreon stuff. That's tactical. It's also experiential. I do Tequila Tuesdays. KD does kicking it with KD on, on Monday, right? And it's specialized content that doesn't get shared anywhere else. And here's a big, big key that you may or may not have thought about with with you and your founders. Your accessibility and willingness to open yourself up in your time, your calendar, your cell phone, your email, you being there, Patricia being there and being on all the time to hundreds, if not thousands of people, you better be ready for that if you really want to make an impact. So I just understand why you might do it, I think is the biggest piece of advice I can, I can give you. And because of the, if you, 
the, the revenue and the ROI just, if you do it right, it just shows up without even trying. Yeah, I love that. So did, did, just out of curiosity, were we qualified to answer that question? I was just about to say, I think you guys were. Yeah, absolutely. Now that was helpful. I, I think I've always been, even as a kid and all those detour jobs, um, you know, doing things for the right reasons and knowing that the payoff is going to happen, right? I think is, is key that you guys pointed out in building community for the right reasons. Like, why are you doing this is really the most important thing. And so I, I appreciate that. I, I appreciate that you guys look at it that way too. Well, thanks so much for uh, spending some time with us. It's been a lot of fun. This has been great, for sure. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Lot. Thanks for answering my questions that were very selfishly asked of me, by me. My favorite. That's my favorite, part, that's my favorite part of hosting a podcast is I get to ask smart people questions that I can then go apply stuff to. Yep. Yeah, learn so much all around. We've talked about, like, we should take all of our podcasts, put them into Word, create a book. You know, but unfortunately, you know, yeah. at the time, I'm waiting for Scott to hire someone so we can do that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much, Patricia. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.